What other song were we going to use when we have a tribute podcast to Toby Hooper, but dancing with myself. Sweat, sweat, sweat. <laughs> so welcome in to our tribute to Toby Hooper. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And we are from MadWolf.com. This is the Fright Club podcast. And yeah, it took about two seconds to think of the song for this week, because if you didn't know, he directed that video. That's right. And it was then later lampooned a little bit from uh, the great artiste David Lee Roth <laughs> in his, uh, remember that, his California, was it California Girls when he... He goes through the different, making fun of different uh, videos, and one of them is making fun of that one. Yeah. He wishes. I don't think I watch that one as often or as <laughs> with as rapt attention as I did that Billy Idol video. So it's all about Toby Hooper because we got that sad news here. Well, it's been probably about a week ago now, right? Yeah. At least a few days. That, uh, yeah, he passed away, and that was pretty unexpected, I think. And, you know, it's, it's already been a pretty you know, tragic Man. year, especially for horror filmmakers. Yeah. It just seems like now, I don't know if it says something about us, you know, getting up to a, a certain age, but man, so many of the greats in both movies, horror movies and music. Yeah. You know, we just got another one today. Walter Becker of Steely Dan passed away. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and they're, they're seemingly young. I mean, just, just taken too soon. So yeah, Toby Hooper, and of course has a long uh, iconic history in horror movies. One, of course, lording over the others. But right. he's got others to talk about yeah, as well. Does, he does. And that's what we're going to do uh, Going to do here, talk about five, our top five noteworthy flicks from Toby Hooper's uh, horror catalog. But uh, first of all, we got to say thank you for last week. We had a lot of fun finally with Fright Clubber number one, John Dean, finally making it on the show. It felt a little bit like Jimmy Kimmel's ongoing gag with Matt Damon. <laughs> Don't have time. Sorry, we got to bump him. It took so long to get John Dean on the show, but he did a great job. He really did. He totally did. And for those of you who don't know, he was actually in radio for a while, so it's one of the reasons why he was so smooth. Yeah, he was. I hired him as a as a part timer, and his his now wife Heather, yeah, who uh, actually works here uh, at the radio station uh, with me. Uh, but uh, John is now an attorney. That's right. But uh, back then, yeah, he was doing the part-time radio thing. So, yeah, he was smooth. And he brought some nice, he did his homework, you he know. He did. And he brought some nice knowledge and some nice uh, nice opinions. So, yeah, we thank you. Thank you for that and for the feedback for the German horror. Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's funny that I, w- we mentioned it, too. I cannot believe it took us this long to do German horror because they, the, 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 country has so many great movies like so so many and most people were really happy with the list silas our good friend silas he was sorry that caligari hadn't actually made our top five yeah and it almost did and we've given the love to that movie quite often we have. which doesn't mean we can't give it more love no. but i think also too i noticed uh some of the comments were going back and forth about well is it austrian is it german what are the rules what what qualifies as german <laughs> but i think you should know by now the rules are what hope makes them <laughs> so. so yeah because there are two films that technically speaking are austrian but one funny games is haneke is german mm, yeah and it's a german language film and and the director is writer director is german yeah. so, so that's we gave it the right good night mommy is austrian <laughs> it's an austrian <laughs> film made by austrian <laughs> filmmakers in austria however it's German language, and we really liked it, and it was on my <laughs> list and John's list, so we're like, yeah, you know what? So, you know what? I just don't think we're going to do look Austrian away. horror. I don't think we're going to do an entire podcast on, although now that I say it, I'm going to look into it and see if I'm wrong. So basically, you're just, you're saying, all right, guilty. And yeah, you're, okay. yes. But uh, pay, but no, we, we, pay we, no attention. We fessed up as oh, we did the podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
But anyway, yeah, thank you for the feedback, and thank you to John Dean. And we look ahead to our next edition of Fright Club Live, which is coming up fast, and that is going to be September the 13th. It's always the second Wednesday of the month. Right back there at Gateway Film Center, we're going to be having fun, doing a podcast, talking about horrific sisters, and watching Ginger Snaps. Woo! Okay, but this week, it's given due to the horror career of Toby Hooper. And we're going to start at number five, with the story of a psychotic redneck... You had me at Psychotic Redneck, <laughs> who owns a dilapidated hotel in Texas and kills various people who upset him or his business, and he feeds their bodies to a large crocodile that he keeps as a pet in the swamp beside his hotel. From 1976, Eaten Alive. If you were one of the millions of moviegoers who were electrified by the unbearable suspense and sheer terror of Jaws, get ready for Eaten Alive. Created by Toby Hooper, maker of the screen sensation, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Into this house of terror comes a handful of unsuspecting innocents. Hello? What happens to these people in Eaten Alive will give you the most chilling, terrifying 90 minutes you ever spent in a theater. Get ready for Eaten Alive, the new horror classic. Let's just take a pause for a second. Okay. Not all of Toby Hooper's films are good. Right. Uh... <laughs> You know, no, that's gonna, something... We're going to hit the top of this list and, and talk about two of just uh, all-time greats, right? right? And then after that, he made about a half a dozen not very good, mediocre, interesting movies. And then he made uh, about a half a dozen bits of dreck. So, um, and so a couple that we should just mention, right? Because people are going to be pissed off Salem's Lot's not on this list. What is our rule about made-for-TV movies, George? We don't do them. No, we don't. And the truth is, I'm not sure Salem's Lot would have made this list. Yeah, you could, because you just watched it again. I did just watch it again because I thought, oh, okay, maybe we'll maybe we'll bend that rule for this one. Uh, because uh, the thing that I have always remembered liking the most about it, of course, is that the vampire looks like Count Orlock. Um, it's that style of vampire, the bald one with the, kind of the rat teeth. But um, the way that it's made for TV, they chop up the book in ways where they throw a clue at you and then they never resolve it or circle back to it. Yeah. And the acting is atrocious. <laughs> and <laughs> Well, and here's the thing too. I know it's been it's been uh, recommended that we do TV horror and mm-hmm. it's just it's just not our thing. I mean, just to show you, I mean, TV God love you. I mean, we get we get pitched we get recommended good TV shows all the time because I know there's great TV out there right now. There is. But I'll tell you, at the beginning of this year, January 1st, we thought it'd be fun. We started keeping track of each and every movie that we watched throughout mm-hmm. the year. Mm-hmm. And right now, right now, we are on pace in a year of 365 days. We are on pace to watch about 350 movies this year. So we just don't have any time we to don't. watch TV. Well, so that, that doesn't mean we have... We have seen Salem's Lot. We have, but yeah. it, and we don't care for it. But I'm just saying... Talking about <laughs> talking about the you know our horror TV, yeah. the best of horror TV because I'm thinking there's probably been a lot here in the last few years that oh, we just totally have not has, seen because the, it's all the stuff that people have told us that we should watch and I'm That's sure right. we should but we're That's not right. going to and we okay. can't do a, a podcast on it because you can't just watch one thing and go yeah. yes or no you have to watch like seven hours of binge something. watching yeah so Salem's Lot there's a couple of reasons yeah it's TV and it's just yeah I mean it's probably better there than eating a lot moments there are moments that really stand out in Salem's Lot but on the whole it's just very made for TV yeah and I uh, couldn't get past that and then the other one. And this is a little bit of a nod to you, George. Lanky. The other one that might have made the list is Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Why did it not make the list? Yeah, I just hate it so much. You do hate um, it so much. And and maybe it wouldn't have 
been as bad if it wasn't, you know, the sequel, obviously, to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I just think it's such a departure. Yeah. And it does, it, it, it's so, it's even worse when you compare it to the original. It's just, oh, I just, I just can't stand it. Um, so, yeah, thank you for that. I know uh, that there is an impression that you're dying. <laughs> Leatherface? Well, what's going on, Leatherface? Hey, go kill her. Get her. Get her, Leatherface. Okay, I just needed to get that out of the way because oh, I figured if I didn't. I hate that. I know. It's, it's just, I know well, what, that you what do. What did this movie become? It's not it's scary in the slightest. So, yeah, that's the last time I'm going to do that. Uh, thank you very much. So. Anyway, Eaten Alive is number five from 1976. Yes, not, it is. Not that it's a great movie. No, it's fun to watch, though. And it is really quite grisly, you know, and uh, and there's a lot. It does have some things in common with Texas Chainsaw Massacre because it's basically another story of, I guess, delicious interlopers <laughs> like, <laughs> going to the wrong area of, of the Texas and finding themselves served for dinner. Yeah, uh, and I guess it's it's loosely based on a real guy named Joe Ball in Texas. Somewhere around after Prohibition ended, he owned a bar with an alligator pit serving as entertainment attraction in the back and then was eventually suspected of murders and apparently back in the late 30s he was about to be arrested by the police in connection with the murders and he committed suicide. So uh-oh. it's 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 loosely based there. Yeah, I, I don't think probably there's much reality in this and it's funny i I mean i actually really like this movie but i like it because it's bad yeah um uh, but at the same time i mean there are some things that he does that are very effective sort of in the not as good but sort of in the way that the hills have eyes in a lot of ways is just terrible but there are moments of it that make it really stand out and hold together now this doesn't hold together nearly as well and one of the things i think it i think it tries too hard to be funny and that doesn't work very well at all, uh, but uh, but I mean so the the things that are unintentionally funny, like you open, we open in his backwoods cat house. Robert England is a hillbilly who's come to be serviced, and the girl objects to his request. Mm-hmm. So she gets kicked out. They just throw her out, and a maid, a maid at a backwoods whorehouse. Dressed in a full maid uniform because those ladies really give a shit about how their hired help is dressed. <laughs> hands this hands this prostitute some cash so that she can go stay at the hotel up the road while she gets herself together, which is a bad idea because at the hotel up the road, the pervy owner feeds people to a gator. So that's how you start. But the thing that sticks out to me still that I noticed more in the, the I, I remembered the most from the first time I watched this movie are these wigs. These women are all wearing these incredibly bad, obvious wigs, and yet the wigs don't float off when they get submerged. And I think the first time I saw this, when I was like 11 or 12, I remember even then thinking, well, that wig's got to come off, won't it? And so it's like a childhood memory. My thinking the wig, I just, at the time, it made sense to me. I thought, we all know she's wearing a wig, right? So I thought... That would be part of, like, the drama. Then the wig would, like, float to the surface. But I guess we weren't supposed to know that she was wearing a Great wig. Great special effects in 1976. <laughs> and the other thing, you know, you're going to talk about Toby Hooper. Uh, you have to mention a, a theme does keep running through some of these films, and this one included. According to makeup artist Craig Reardon, uh, the cinematographer on this movie directed several scenes uh, and not Toby Hooper due to creative differences with the film's producers. So take that with a grain of salt if you need to. But... You know, that's a theme we're going to talk about a little bit more here as these go on, just how much of these movies he actually directed. But that's number five, 1976, Eaten Alive. Moving up to number four in our list of Toby Hooper horror. It's a race of space vampires 
arriving in London and infecting the populace from 1985, Life Force. They watched. They waited. Now their time has come. Out of the depths of space, the ultimate terror. Moving, searching, destroying. From body to body, from life to life, from man to woman. Changing, growing, burning for our life force. From the director of Poltergeist, from the special effects creator of Star Trek, the motion picture, Life Force. In the blink of an eye, the terror begins. You don't watch this movie and think for one second, this is a Toby Hooper movie. You just don't. You know, <laughs> and it's borderline horror. It's really sci-fi. Um, well, and actually, after doing uh, that video, Billy Idol almost got a role as one of the male vampires. Oh, he yeah? was considered. Yeah, it's kind of wow. funny that he didn't after, you know, working with him in the... It is kind but, of uh, funny. You know, 85, that was still in Billy Idol's heyday. Oh, so he was yes. probably quite busy. It, it, it might have actually made some money had he been in it. <laughs> and I guess Peter Cushing, too, was considered for a part. Oh. Didn't make it. So, yeah, those are a couple of uh, additions Picard to the cast. Was in but, it. Well, yes, yes. Sir Patrick Stewart. That's right. Sir Patrick Stewart. And he's got some hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's got a, a few faces like that. And, and um, Steve Railsback, who I, I remember, and a lot of people maybe my age might remember, he played... Charles Manson in the TV version. Oh, yeah, back in the day. I saw that the TV Helter Skelter, yes. but I, I didn't know he that guy's name. He played Manson, wow. yeah, and he was so scary. He I was remember scary in that as movie. a kid watching that, just his face. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I always remembered that name, Steve Railsback. He scared me as playing yeah. Manson uh, on Helter Skelter on TV. But so the movie, and it's funny because, you know, uh, they, they always the Space Vampires, because actually it was it's based on a novel called Space Vampires. Right. And they changed the title because they didn't want the movie to seem like an exploitation. You know, they wanted it, it is kind of more highbrow than the title Space Vampires would suggest. But there's nothing about this that suggests, I mean, it's they're, they're not vampires. <laughs> they're just not. But that's okay. And mainly what it is, is a naked woman. <laughs> That's really the whole thing you need to know. So there is a, a spaceship, and it detects another spaceship. And so when it when it goes in, if all it finds all these like pruned up dead bodies and these three aliens that are in glass cases, and and mainly uh, as far as the camera can tell, there's a naked woman in these glass cases. So they bring them back on board their ship and head back to Earth. By the time they land on Earth, everybody's dead except these three naked aliens. And then they open the case. Clearly, you shouldn't be opening these cases. They open the case, and the all you need... I mean, then it's just, there's a naked alien woman. There's a naked alien woman sucking the life force out of every seemingly very willing man in London. And she's just, she never has clothes on. She's Matilda May, and she's awfully naked. <laughs> and it's actually the first, this is the first film in Toby Hooper's three-picture deal with the Cannon Group. And the other two were uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, 2 and Invaders from Mars. Oh, right. So, and, you know, apparently back then that group, which was the, the Gulan Gulbus uh, producers that were very busy back then and had a certain amount of reputation, but apparently Toby Hooper said nothing but great things about working with them. And they oh, that's good. obviously funded, you know, funded uh, three of his movies, but this was the first of that uh, that trifecta of movies that he worked with there. And it's just, I mean, it's so, it, it's so very, very not him. You know, it's just, it's not gritty. It's not, you know, it doesn't have, like, that sort of visceral gut punch about anything. And, uh, and uh, I mean, it's fun. It's basically, it's very much an ode to the, the Hammer film, Quartermass in the Pit. 
um, which is again, which is a bit campy and highbrow and more than you would expect. It's also very much a sci-fi film more than it's a horror film. Although there is this great scene where uh, the vampire aliens they start sucking the life out of Londoners, but then the Londoners who are pruned up suck the life out of the next Londoner. So basically, it's a zombie apocalypse in London. Um, you know, many years before we started to see that routinely, and it and it's it's a really fun frenetic scene uh that's that's really probably the the best scene in the movie but i mean it's not a bad movie it's really not it's very peculiar like the whole movie that pacing of it the storyline of it how characters sort of come and go and disappear and then they're back and who's connected to whom and why are these things happening it's a really really odd movie but you know i think more interesting because of that. Mm-hmm. Life Force. And that's number four on our list of Toby Hooper Horror, 1985's Life Force. Going up to number three, it's four teenage friends spending the night in a carnival funhouse, and they're stalked by a deformed man in a Frankenstein mask. 1981, The Funhouse. Something is alive in the funhouse. Something not alive like its father. Something better dead. Something that has the form of a human, but not the face. This better be good. It's gonna be great. Something that feeds off the flesh and blood of young innocents. Come on, here we go. This is it. Something that tonight will turn the funhouse into a carnival of terror. Funhouse. It's a carnival of terror from Toby Hooper, the director who terrified you with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So this one's not great, but it's good. I, I mean, I genuinely like the Funhouse. I always have. And uh, you can see how, you know, these sort of theme park horror films have all stolen from this movie ever since then. Well, and to keep the Billy Idol theme rolling here... Uh, he reused some of the props from this movie in that <laughs> video. I'm going to find a way to work in Billy Idol and Dancing with Myself in each of these if I can. I'm but no, some of, the, some of the props turned up, uh, some of the props from this movie turned up in that video, which is cool. You know, it is this incredibly creepy video. Like, it was very much not like any other video that you saw at the time. And it's not creepy in that Michael Jackson thriller sort of way. Yeah. I mean, there's like the sort of, you know, straight razor on a leather strap. Mm-hmm. Bit. I mean, it's a creepy video. <laughs> so, Funhouse. It feels more predictable, I think, than it would have at the time because so many movies kind of stole from it afterwards. You know, it's you know these sort of double dating kids. They decide they're going to hide out in the carnival after it closes and they're going to spend the night in the funhouse, which is just good decision making right there. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and the, but, you know, the part that's that's fun is the creepy seedy carny atmosphere that that he develops and and in his better movies in the movies that are more memorable i think that that's really one of his one of toby hooper's great skills is creating this unseemly atmosphere that that you know you and the sort of wholesome youths have found themselves trapped inside mm-hmm. uh, i think that's uh very often what works best in his movies and it does in this one in the you know, carnies are creepy. You know, <laughs> that's they usually are. Yeah. <laughs> and also, the monster was is interesting because the original plan was to have the makeup effects artist on the movie play the monster, but then Toby Hooper, I guess, caught a performance of a mime named Wayne Doba, 
and was so you know captured by his movements yeah. and, and that, that he got the part and he plays the uh, the killer the monster in this movie. Nice. It's a campy, it's very 1981. It really is, but I've always really enjoyed this movie. I think just for the seediness if nothing else, you know. Plus I, I just I like I like carnival horror movies. I like I think there's yeah. a a real element of like the alien sort of unsettling environment, you know, like you're not supposed to be there. There's something seedy about it. And I just, I always find that compelling. And I like what he does with it in this movie. And legend has it that working on this movie was the reason he turned down. Apparently, the story goes, Steven Spielberg asked Toby Hooper to direct E.T. Uh, originally. At least offered it offered it to wow. him. Wow. But he was busy with this movie. And, of course, they ended up working together in a movie we're going to talk about here in a little bit. But on this one, apparently, that's the story. That's the reason that he turned down E.T. because he was busy with this movie. Can you imagine E.T. being directed by Toby Hooper? Can you imagine, like, years later, Toby Hooper looking back at that? Yeah. I decided that I wasn't going to direct what would go on at that time to be <laughs> the most popular film in history, although at the same time, would it have been if Toby Hooper yeah, had directed it? Yeah, it? it's, it's weird to think, <laughs> to think uh, you know, how it might have been different, yes. uh, how a lot of things might have been different. And some, and apparently, too, for some, at, at some point during the filming, talk about scary, real-life scary, he was, Toby Hooper, was bitten by a brown recluse spider. Wow! Which can be nasty, yes. deadly. Somewhere out there in the in the sticks when they were filming, yeah, he got bitten by a spider, so that is nasty. Yes. Uh, and that is the Fun House from 1981, number three. And getting up to the big two, I bet you can guess what they are. Coming in at number two, one we were just kind of alluding to. A family's home is haunted by a host of ghosts. Poltergeist. <laughs> Now, this is the one really where the stories of how much did Toby Hooper direct come into play. This one more than any other, because you look back and there are a lot of people that say this is mainly a Steven Spielberg movie. In fact, I think Zelda Rubenstein from Poltergeist mm -hmm. was quoted at one point as saying that in, during this movie that Toby Hooper didn't direct traffic. <laughs> uh, that this was all over. But then I think also you can find some quotes where where Steven Spielberg kind of backtracks on that and says that, you know, Toby Hooper was not really that much of a take charge kind of guy. So he would, Spielberg says that he would, you know, suggest certain things, but, but Toby Hooper always had the final call. So we don't know the real story. Take with it what you will, but he is listed as the director. But he of is. course you can tell there's Plenty of input from Mr. Spielberg here. Oh yeah, it's. I mean, it's, it does. It definitely has Steven Spielberg's thumbprints all over it. I mean, if you think about the the two films of Spielberg's that came out in '82, right? <laughs> You've got this idyllic suburb that, and the piece is kind of punctuated by a supernatural presence. And in one case, it's this big-eyed, sweet alien. In right. the other case, you know, well, there's more flesh tearing in the other one. There are certain scenes that do seem dated at this point that where he tears his face off in the mirror that at the time was just amazing and now you look back and go Ugh, i don't know but the heart of this movie is still really very relevant and and because i think there are two things that whether spielberg or hooper either one that what they capture really well is childhood fears 
like uh, that creepy tree, you know, and certainly the clown, right? Childhood fears. And at the same yeah. time, though, I think the the bigger theme, maybe easier, is adult fears that when she could hear her daughter and couldn't get to her. Yeah. And one of the reasons this movie works and continues to work is Joe Beth Williams' performance. She's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's funny when you think about that there are actually there are no deaths and really only a couple of light injuries in the movie. Well, it's PG. I know. And, and that's scary as shit, though. And, and that was by design because you mentioned E.T. at the same right, time. Right. I guess it was Spielberg. He wanted, because the original plan, I guess, was to have Carol Ann actually die wow. early on and then have her part be part of the haunting. Ghosts, yeah. yeah. But then that was right away, that was deemed too dark. And because Spielberg's plan, what he wanted was for it to be PG so it could be a double feature with E.T. at the same time. So, yeah, but but when you think about it, you think about it as a horror film, and of course it qualifies, but yeah, there are no deaths, but there are some good scares, and there's some serious creepiness. And I remember when I saw it in the theater for the first time being really creeped out. Oh, yeah. It's a scary movie. It, it is. is. It's yeah. a very effective, scary movie. And, um, you know, I think a lot of that really is due to how well it's made. Um, and, you know, it's not, it doesn't rely on a bunch of jump scares. It has really well-produced effects, and the performances are great, and the storyline is very human. Yeah, and think about how many moments in this movie have become just part of the popular culture. Oh, yeah. You've got They're Here. Oh, yeah. You've got the TV. You've got This House is Clean. Right, you right, know, right. Those things that, you know, the film has remarkable staying power. Really, it does. And, that, and even quotes like, you know, you didn't move the graves! <laughs> you know, things like that. I mean, they just come up in popular culture and are, and are constantly referred to and maybe, you know, and parodied and other things. Mm -hmm. But still, that's a form of flattery. Sure. I mean, it has con considerable legs, this movie yeah, does, does, and staying power in the in the popular culture and, and in cinema. So yeah, it's very... Very effective, but I think you're right. I think, you know, we'll never know who did what, how many, how much contribution was by who, but it really has Spielberg's thumbprint all over it. But regardless, it's listed as it's the highest grossing movie of Toby Hooper's director directing career. Yeah. Uh, because it was a huge hit. Huge hit. And then, you know, and then a few years ago they did the, the remake, which was... Not good. It wasn't good. Uh, and we were it hopeful. It wasn't horrible. It had, it had some moments, but it didn't. Well, I think we only like it at all up. because Sam Rockwell was in it, and he yeah. is hard not to like. He is. He's always good. He's always good. So that leaves uh, room at the top for only one. You know what it is. Two siblings visiting their grandfather's grave in Texas, along with three of their friends, are attacked by a family of cannibalistic psychopaths from 1974, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This is the movie that is just as real. Just as close. Just as terrifying as being there. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. We were lucky enough just to host a screening of this at the Gateway Film Center, our home away from home. Uh, just the other night, and a great crowd came out. You know, yeah, just to true. just to kind of talk about Toby Hooper and and just be in a in a film community and enjoy this movie one more time on the big screen, which I know you were happy to do. Uh, I wasn't. It was a, a gorgeous 4K restoration of it. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Um, 
you know, this is, uh, I don't even know how many times this movie has made one of our lists, but obviously yeah. it was going to top the list today, sure. so I don't feel guilty about that. And talk about a movie with legs, oh a movie my. with staying power, mm-hmm. just one of the most iconic horror films ever for so many reasons. And I guess an inspiration for the film apparently came to Toby Hooper while he, he was standing in the hardware section of a crowded store and thinking of a way to get out of the crowd, he spotted a chainsaw. <laughs> so you nice. never know when inspiration will strike. But uh, yeah, boy, it led to just one that was, you know, when it came out, think of that, 1974. Just shocking. Oh, yeah. You know, just incredibly shocking for so many reasons. And I, and I think one of the things that really still gets to me are some of the sounds. Because yes. there's not really so much of a soundtrack. Is they They made sure that a lot of the sounds were sounds that would be heard inside a slaughterhouse. Mm. You know, and I think I've mentioned before, one of the ones that always gets to me is when that door oh, slams. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Not only the visual of slamming the that door, but the sound door. Yeah. that door makes. So great. It's just that, that moment the, right there yeah. gets and me. And also, there's always that chicken, you know, that buck, buck, buck you could hear, and then yeah. when you finally see it, you're like, why is that chicken in a birdcage? There's so yeah. many things about this movie that are are just meticulously done. Yeah. And like you said, you know, 1974, um, you you know, it's it's obviously it's been so long that I think it's sometimes hard to sort of define how what a watershed moment this film was. And it came out during a period of American independent film of, of savage cinema, the, the early West Cravens. We we're already talking about Hills Have Eyes and, and, and a bunch of other really gritty guerrilla style not all of them hold up that well. This one is the best of all of mm. them because it's like every creative decision he made worked brilliantly, and the the and it changed so many things about horror movies, about about a score, you know, about the the creepy score that tells you, oh, be worried, turn around, or you know the you know light and shadow, and you know uh, so many things that were subconscious triggers to moviegoers to, to let them know that something spooky or scary is going to happen to prepare us, right? We didn't get, because it was mostly outside. It was mostly broad daylight. There was no score to speak of. We were never prepared for what was about to happen. Yeah, and in really kind of an ironic twist, a, a backfire, Toby Hooper originally wanted to try to get a PG rating here. I know! And... <laughs> You, you, you know, think about it. as as scary as this movie is. It's very there's very little blood. Very little. So he was trying to go for a PG rating by keeping the violence moderate and and have most of the horror implied and not shown in great detail. But that actually made it for for a lot of people even more horrific. So that I think most people know the story that originally it was given an X rating. For violence that was mainly implied. So, except for this, and, and, and I always think of this, the, the first thing that pops into my mind when I hear that, they hang a woman on a hook. Never hang me on a hook. <laughs> You're dead. But it's not like, that's not implied. They hang her on a hook. Yeah. They hang her on a hook. I know. She's reaching behind her, trying to pull that's... herself up. You're not going to get a PG rating with that. But there was there was no blood there. <laughs> yeah, that was that got me too. Yeah. You know, hanging on a hook, that's nasty. <laughs> Uh, and then there's, you know, another one of the iconic images is your buddy Gunnar Hansen, R.I.P., running around just waving that chainsaw oh, yeah. all over the place. But part of that was because, you know, he's he's tall. He was tall enough as it is. You know, we got mm-hmm. to meet him at Horror Hand a few years ago. Marilyn Burns as well. Yeah. He's a big guy. And he was still wearing, he wore like three-inch lifts in those boots. So he was huge. 
But even wearing all that stuff, he could still run faster than Marilyn Burns. So <laughs> when they were having those scenes, he had to waste time and slow slow up so he wouldn't catch her. He'd just start waving that thing all over the place so he was running slower. But that is such an iconic image of him just... Yeah. Oh, it's just is. waving it at anything that gets in the way. Yeah. And it's funny how those things happen sometimes accidentally that become so effective in a movie like this. Marilyn Burns is great. Gunnar Hansen, magnificent, right? But the one who just, and, and Franklin, Franklin is great. Everybody hates Franklin. Yeah. It's in- really a good performance. Including, and I think we've talked about this before, including Gunnar Hansen. He, he did not, the actor that played uh, Franklin, was a guy named Paul Partain. Yep. And he didn't get long, but then they he found out later it's because Paul was trying to be that annoying guy the entire time. Yeah. And after they wrapped shooting, he found out, oh, he's an all right guy. <laughs> he was just staying as Franklin, so I want to punch him in the face. Right, right, right. <laughs> but for me, it's it's Edwin Neal. It's a hitchhiker. Yeah. I love that character yeah. so much. I love that performance so much because it is... Um, you know, the chef's performance, I love him, but it's a little campy. It's a little goofy. You know, and of course, Gunnar Hansen, you know, he, he well, it's it's a very physical performance. Clearly. Yeah. But yeah. Edwin Neal comes off as a complete freak. Like, you buy his sort of giddy, no, let's be friends, let's be nice, no, I'm going to kill you. I mean, you just buy it completely. Well, not only that, but it sets, from the time they pick him up, it sets the entire mood. Oh, like, it does. what's going on here? Yeah. You know what? Let's just turn around and go back because this guy is just freaky and I don't like what's going to go on after this. Oh, yeah. you know, he's so freaky. And he, too, was quoted years later as saying he was a Vietnam vet. And he said, he said that that shoot was worse than anything <laughs> he encountered in Vietnam. So, whoa. Whoa. Wow. But, yeah, he, he really sets the tone yeah, right does. away for the creepiness uh, of that entire movie. I yeah. love him. So, I love so, him. So, so, so many things work. And, of course, John Larroquette. Yeah. At the beginning, right, he's the, the voice. voiceover. Yeah. He's, he's got on. a great voice. He yeah, had he a does. great voice. He absolutely does. Apparently, he was just hanging around, and, and he know, had the voice for it. As many times as we've mentioned this movie, I don't think I've ever said this before, but I'm going to say it now. I have always felt so badly for that truck driver, driving in the Black Maria, that yeah. truck driver, yeah. because she's all happy. Ah, she's getting away in the back of that pickup truck, and you're like, he, Leatherface, ah, he's you know waving around, and you're in, in the back of your head, you're going, well, that, that truck driver's still there. Like, um... Leatherface is going to realize that yeah. the truck driver is still there. Oh, yeah. my God. They're going to kill him and eat him. Good point. Yeah. I've always, my whole life, I've always felt so bad for that guy. Pulled over to help her out, and then... No good deed goes unpunished. That's right. Truck driver. So, number one, of course, what's what's it going to be in the career of Toby Hooper? The Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974. So, yeah, another talent gone too soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toby Hooper passing away, so we wanted to do that tribute podcast. So, chime in. What do you think? You want to get on me for not liking Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2? Wail away. Uh, <laughs> it wouldn't wouldn't be the first time, but, uh, you know, it's uh, please make your comments known. We'll keep that conversation going. Always have a lot of fun on Twitter. It's the easiest way. Or at Mad Wolf, M A D D W O L F, Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook. Um, also, Mad Wolf Columbus on Instagram. We never tout our Instagram. Our, our, we're trying to get better with our Instagram yeah, game. Yeah, we don't pay that much attention to Instagram. We're so we're, yeah, we're, we're getting gonna, there. We're, we're trying. Ramp it up. Yeah, not quite as, as busy as we are on Twitter, but uh, we're still, we're Mad Wolf Columbus on Instagram as well. And of course, the main website, madwolf.com, where you can always find these Fright Club podcasts, as well as Golden Spiral Media, and of course, Apple Podcasts, wherever you want to get your podcasts, and, and maybe write a review. As we said a couple of uh, a couple of podcasts ago, we were 
tardy about reading some of the new reviews, and there's some great ones there. We thank you so much. Now, I, I don't want to make fun of it because we really appreciate it so, yeah, well, yeah. so much. Yeah, so if, you're, if the spirit moves you, please do that. So we look ahead to that. We look ahead to your feedback, and we look ahead to, once again, uh, the next Fright Club Live, which, as I said, will be September 13th. At the Gateway Film Center, we're going to show Ginger Snaps and talk about Horrific Sisters. And then, once again, we've got to give a nice plug for the Nightmares Film Festival. October 19th to the 22nd. So if you can make it, you should make it. It's going to be the Gateway Film Center. You know, and if you've been to horror film festivals in the past, I promise that you have not been to one as cool as this. And I'm not just saying that. I mean, it really yeah. is the accommodations. In the, the theater itself is is so great yep. for something like this. You know, the the environment where you get to watch the films. It's not like it's being, you know, right. shown in an alley out back. It's in oh, a no. nice, gorgeous, state-of-the-art theaters. And, you know, it's just really a chance to not just see some great upcoming horror, but to hang out with the filmmakers yeah. because they do. Uh, you know, they they're they're there the whole time. They're meeting each other. It's really, as you said last time, George, a really sort of community developing event. It really is. And full disclosure, we are on the the judging panel. We've helped to pick a lot of the movies that get into the film festival, which we're very honored and excited to do. We've seen some great movies already, so I can tell you right now, you're going to see some great stuff. Yeah, you but really yeah, are. I mean, take even that out of it because. Last year was the first year for the festival. We were not part of the judging panel, and we were so impressed. Oh, yeah, we were there the so, whole time, and we will be there so the whole impressed. time this time, too. So we were very, very uh, honored to be asked to be on the judging panel, but, yeah, we can't recommend it enough, and we're not just being being uh, blown smoke here. It's, it's really going to be a great, great event. So if you can make it again, it's October 19th through the 22nd. And we just got the okay, Ashley, to record a Fright Club during yeah. the event. Now, we're, it probably won't be the traditional type. It won't be a, a theme with a top five. It'll probably more of a QA. We haven't really decided exactly what we're right. doing, but just another reason to come to the show. Yeah, we're going to do a live podcast taping there at Nightmares. Uh, subject, topic, still to be decided, but maybe, maybe kind of a wide-ranging Q&A thing. We'll see. But it should be fun. Love to have you as part of that. That's so right. uh, make it if you can. And chime in on Twitter. Uh, we got a lot of stuff going on. And again, RIP to Toby Hooper. It was fun to talk about his uh, his horror career and uh, some of the great films that have made their way into the, like I said, into the pop culture. Yeah. And just so, such lasting impressions that he was a part of. So uh, thank him for his work. Thank you for your feedback. And uh, until next week, I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Stay frightful, my friends. Oh,